Welcome to SCI Science Perspectives, a podcast brought to you by the American Spinal Injury Association. In this podcast, we'll be discussing emerging literature spanning the full spectrum of SCI research from discovery to clinical application. You're listening to a Scholarly Perspectives episode with Dr. Nina Carmela Tamayo. I'm your host, Marla. And I'm Dave. Today, we'll be discussing the paper titled The SCI Traveler, Navigating Barriers to Domestic and International Travel, 2022 Manual Update, which is a consensus resource document published by the American Spinal Injury Association. This document was suggested to us by Asia's Rehabilitation Standards Committee. Our guest today is Nina Carmelo Tamayo. Dr. Tamayo is a board-certified physiatrist and current CEO of Prime Directives PM&R LLC and chief clinical officer of Prev.ai. She received her master's degree from Columbia University in Nutrition and Health Policy Administration, pardon, master's, multiple, and doctor of osteopathy from the University of Medicine and Dentistry of New Jersey School of Osteopathic Medicine in 2013. She completed her residency in PM&R at Mercy Medical Center in Long Island, and in 2018 finished her training in spinal cord injury at Cape Western Reserve University Metro Health Hospital. In addition to her clinical work, Dr. Tamayo holds particular interest, as we will learn today, in travel and disability, accessibility and universal design, health policy, community integration through healthcare technology and artificial intelligence. Welcome, Dr. Tamayo. Thank you all for having me. Okay, so in this scholarly perspectives episode, we would like to ask you to start by talking about the process of creating a resource document such as this through an organization like Asia? Sure. So the journey of writing this manual actually started before I was in fellowship. And um, I am an avid traveler. I am the type of person who has a go bag in my car. So I think I was in Colorado at that time. I was with one of my other colleagues and we were in Colorado Springs where basically uh, there was a hiking trail that you had to go a hundred steps up before you hit the hiking trail. And at that time, you know, they they had, and I believe it's still there, but there's another place where uh, individuals who are mobility impaired or who had assistive devices could go in a different direction. And there was a little tunnel and they could take an elevator up to this nest, hawk's nest, I think is what they called. So they could see the vista. But as I was, you know, sitting there looking at, you know, the two different uh, experiences that, you know, uh, able-bodied individuals were going to have versus individuals with um, assistive devices, I was really upset because I said, how, what if they wanted to go see the trail? You know, what if they wanted to see, you know, more than just the vista? And I, I started realizing just how limited our built environment was for our patients. So I think, the, the seed was planted then, but it didn't take until fellowship uh, when I had the opportunity to create resources with the Northeast Ohio VA system. Uh, there was a, a group of physical therapists and uh, neuropsychologists who helped me put together my fellowship project. And so initially we wanted to just put together a packing checklist and tips and questions that our patients could ask especially when they were traveling. And so it was really a quality improvement project in a lot of ways. And so that quite kind of morphed until, you know, I think past my fellowship year when I started realizing, wow, we don't really have that many resources that we can give 
our patients who have just had a, an injury. And even just the idea of integrating back into the community, as we know, it's all quality of life. So I said, well, why don't we start looking at the resources that are out there? And I, I started realizing there's very, very few resources out there specifically for spinal cord injury. So I think the the idea was always to target this population of people and also to target those who have just had uh, injuries within the first six months to two years, because the statistics are pretty staggering in terms of disability and travel. The Open Doors organization had shown that people with disabilities travel only about one to two times every two years. And for the people with spinal cord injuries, statistics were even lower. So there was a study by the National Spinal Cord Injury Statistics Center, and they had reported that only 38% of people with SCI had spent a night away from home in the past year, of which 25% of those people didn't even get out of their house once a week. And in another study, you know, they, they showed that spinal cord injury uh, patient had reported travel as the most disrupted social activity since their injury with only about 4% of them uh, really participating in travel as a leisure activity. And you compare that to uh, able-bodied uh, Americans, and this, most of these st statistics obviously are US-based. We generally take an average of five to six overnight trips or one-way trips to places about 50 plus miles away from our own homes. And that's every year. So there's, there's a huge discrepancy in terms of, you know, uh, what we see in travel and tourism uh, between able-bodied and also our, our patients, specifically spinal cord injury patients. And I really have to, to thank Dr. Shu Cole. She's out of Indiana University. Um, and she actually started the research behind all of this. So I can't really take credit for all the statistics I'm throwing out. So <laughs> um, she did a lot of uh, the, the the background research on this. And she and I have very shared interests in terms of improving quality of life and really looking at the barriers to travel for spinal cord injury patients. So she really was the one who broke down the intrinsic, the economic, the environmental and interactive barriers that uh, we often see as reasons for reduced participation in travel for this population of people. So so now we're this is already after fellowship. And now that I had sort of my resources I said uh, to the group of people that I was working with at that time, well, why don't we just write this into a manual? And so the uh, durable medical equipment manual was the original pathway for this manual until about a year into it, I spoke to Allison Kessler, Dr. Allison Kessler and um, Ann Bryden. And I said, this seems a little bit different from the durable medical equipment. Is there any way we can kind of separate it from the rest of the, the manual and sort of make it our own? And thankfully, with such a supportive group, you know, the Rehab Standards Committee said, yeah, why not? Let's do it. So I, you know, it, it was challenging at that time because I think when that happened, COVID hadn't happened yet. It was about nine months away. And so I started rewriting the manual with the idea that it was going to be a separate thing. And then COVID happened and nobody was talking about travel at that time, as we all know. And I think in a way it was a blessing in disguise because as COVID was happening, it gave me a chance to rethink how this manual was going to look. And so we actually added a whole section 
on community reintegration because as we saw in COVID, nobody was going out, um, including us. So, and, and we often know that the effects of COVID with social isolation, depression, I think it made it a lot worse for uh, the population of people that we took care of. So we added a section on, okay, how do we plan for individuals with disabilities? And it was sort of a general question at that time because it affected everybody. How can we help them get back into the community? And as I was sort of mentioning earlier, was the, a gentle integration back into the community. It's sort of like, I don't know if you guys have the same had the same experience as a, as a child when people would tell you, oh, you got to study harder or you just have to study more. And I was like, what does that even mean? You know, and I, I always wondered, OK, how can we handhold people through this you know, process and give them steps that they can take, uh, starting with sort of that packing checklist? And so, yeah, that's kind of how this all came about. And at that time, after we added that section, I think we felt pretty comfortable where we were at. I was working with a different group of people at that time. I had to give a shout out to my therapists who were out at Edwin Shaw Rehab Cleveland Clinic, uh, who helped me finish out this manual. So, you know, I, I think at that point, we had a very comprehensive manual. We really looked at domestic travel and international travel and also community travel, because really travel is the, the foundation for just getting out into the community. So yeah, the, that's a very long-winded way of explaining how this whole process happened. But as you can tell, there, there were a lot of challenges, especially the, the pandemic, that really shaped the decision-making in terms of what information we put in here. So yeah. <laughs> yeah, one thing I love about the document is that you open it and it looks long, but it's very concise. There's just a lot of individual categories that fall into this uh, broad definition of travel, which I think is very useful. It almost blurs the difference between transportation and travel, which I think mm -hmm. is great. It's yeah. a way I think about it. Right. So in this process, you described uh, mothers, the necessity of invention. You identified something. You worked towards solving it. You pulled in experts. There were researchers providing statistics, but then there were yourself, doctors, therapists who were probably helping to provide some of these services. Who else was involved in the feedback and this iterative process of building the document? So I think, you know, in this sort of new generation of identifying ableism, I needed to make sure that people who were in wheelchairs actually contributed to this document because one of the comments I actually received, this was sort of at the very beginning, I, I was said, well, you know, somebody told me, well, wait a second, you're, you're not in a wheelchair. Like, who are you to tell me what to do? <laughs> so I thankfully, you know, Dr. Kessler and even the whole rehab standards committee is just really awesome. So this is also my plug for them. And also, um, you know, again, I had uh, colleagues out in the Northeast uh, Ohio VA system who helped with this. And they really shaped a lot of the initial information that we put in there. So I feel comfortable putting this out there because it was guided by them both initially at the at the beginning of the process and also at the very end of the process. So, you know, I think those are, that's probably the most important, you know, contribution that they, they provided for this. But as you said, you know, I had therapists, recreational therapists, especially, I think they are also often not highlighted, but they are so important in our field and especially in spinal cord injury, because they're the ones who help us bring our patients back into the community and live very fulfilled and optimal lives. 
So, you know, I had them also take a look at this and also provide some of their um, uh, input. And of course, you know, our physical therapist and our occupational therapist, uh, I have to give a real great shout out to Jessica Balhorn, who's one of the occupational therapists at Edwin Shaw. And she actually helped write the community integration piece of this. And so she was really integral during that time when, you know, COVID was happening and this was really taking a different turn. And I loved a lot of her advice. And I think it really showed us, you know, just how important an interdisciplinary team is when we write something like this. Because, you know, as physicians, I think, you know, fine, we're, we're the, the medical component of it and we can guide some of their decision-making through that medical lens. But, you know, what I like to say, the uh, more practical, you know, advice really comes from our therapists. But yeah, that's, I think it was a very comprehensive team that, that really put their work into this. Yeah. yeah, we love that. So one more question about the process, and then we'll ask about how you hope that Asia's professionals will implement the use of this document. Mm-hmm. So you're describing all these people and COVID aside, keeping that in mind when I asked this question, what were the biggest surprises you came across in creating the SCI Traveler? I think at the very beginning, when we started doing our research, I was actually working with residents from my old residency program, and it was tough. It was tough looking for resources for this population of people, really specifically to spinal cord injury. I think there are uh, many resources that were made by people with disabilities. A lot of them were blogs or YouTube channels, social media. So I think there was sort of a shift in terms of where we were looking. But what was really interesting was that we were looking at some of the major, even model systems did not have necessarily information on travel for spinal cord injury or for even people with disabilities. Christopher and Dana Reeve and United Spinal were probably the two most robust in terms of resources. But then as we were kind of going through some of the resources, we also found that, you know, some of the links or some of the available resources were outdated. So I think that was also really surprising. And, you know, and I think everybody had really great, similar to this, where it's uh, different, uh, very succinct um, uh, sections. But, you know, we found that it was really difficult to find updated um, and also, you know, just in terms of where we are in time, information about uh, disability travel. And everybody was kind of using social media as, as the new platform to disseminate a lot of this information. So I think that was a really big surprise. The other thing too, and we didn't actually include this in the manual, this might be an addition for the next iteration of this manual, but as we saw that social media became a really big thing, one of the research studies that sort of came out of this was looking at apps that were available both on Droid and Apple and looking at, okay, well, which what apps are out there that help people travel or navigate their communities? And what was also surprising about that is that Apple was more specific in terms of disability-based travel apps. So the Droid, I guess their algorithm is just very different. And so we actually have a Venn diagram that needs to be updated now because it's it's a couple years old, but we have a Venn diagram that shows what are the Apple-based apps that people can use and Droid-based apps. And there's the ones that uh, overlap the two. So 
And we were pleasantly surprised that there are already apps out there, but we didn't get a chance because of COVID that to check any of these apps to see if they were really helpful. So yeah, I think those were some of the biggest surprises that I came across. Yeah, I think the social media aspect of that is really interesting. And the app-based stuff, of course, is like, you know, that's kind of what everyone's craving, the most easiest thing to use that's kind of right at your hands at all times. Mm -hmm. So I'm just kind of envisioning, you know, as a physician, I have this awesome manual. It's got so much information. I have a patient or, or a family that's telling me, you know, I'm asking what their goals are. Oh, I love to travel before my injury. That's was like my favorite thing to do. And I'm like, I have this awesome resource, but I don't want to just like shove this manual in their face <laughs> and kind of like walk away, you know, and be like, Hey, good luck. What are some like key aspects of the manual or things that you find that are common pitfalls that happen that you think would be helpful for physicians or PTs, OTs, rec therapists to kind of go over with the patient and the family when they get the manual, just to kind of set them up for the most success? Right. I, I think, you know, we as healthcare physicians, therapists, and just general providers for spinal cord injury, we sometimes forget just how difficult it is to plan for travel for our patients because we are not in their shoes. And I think the idea of spontaneity totally goes out the window. Like you can't, you can't expect that especially for SEI. And a lot of the time I've found that when I start talking about this with patients, it's usually on the inpatient rehab side. I don't wait until outpatient to have this conversation because usually it's at that time when they're thinking their lives are completely over. And then I show them examples. And this is where the social media part actually comes into play because I show them all these people who, you know, use that platform to show them what is possible out there. So it's a, it's a means to give them hope. But at the same time, you know, I think, you know, because within those first, first two years, they're still adjusting to their bodies. So when I, I talk to patients, the first thing that I say is go slow, you know, go slow and, you know, adjust your expectations of how this is going to be. Um, and because our world is still not made for people with impairments or, you know, people with who need assistive devices, and that also includes our elderly, by the way, it's not just spinal cord injury patients, but I, I think that a lot of them are shocked by the attitude that is presented to them, especially when they're traveling. There's a lot of assumptions. There's a lot of comments that they get as part of the tourism industry, they're, I think they're not quite up to speed. I mean, we've seen uh, more recently, right, how, how many wheelchairs get destroyed by airlines. So there's still a lot of work to do as far as the tourism industry is concerned. But again, you know, it's adjusting those expectations and having a plan B, a plan C, a plan D, and just making sure that you're flexible enough and not getting frustrated. That's easier said than done, of course. But, you know, those I think are the first three things that I always preface my talk with. But then I think, again, because of the addition of the community reintegration piece from, of the manual, one of the pieces of advice, and actually we turned this into a project that we presented at ISPRM in Portugal this past summer. I, I actually sponsored this project where I chose eight previous spinal cord injury patients, either of mine or um, you know, others, you know, friends of friends 
you know, who, who found out about the study. And I basically said, okay, we're in the Cleveland area. If you want to go out into the, in the Cleveland Akron area, I should say, and you want to stay at a hotel or you want to go to a restaurant for the first time, or you want to go to a baseball game. So something that's, you know, tangible and something that's a little bit easier to plan something small. And it might not seem small to them, but, you know, because we had the manual, we basically trained them to take the steps to plan that those kinds of trips. So it would be like a, a daytime outing, for example. So when I say, you know, okay, start slow, you know, you can do that, or you could even do something really simple as, okay, how do I plan to go to the grocery store? How do I plan to go to the bank? I just recently saw this article about going to church and how some churches are actually not very friendly to people in wheelchairs. And so, you know, how do you plan for something like that? And sort of walking them through, you know, and how to problem solve, you know, during those situations. And again, I don't have the answers to everything. This, the guide is just, it's, it's really a guide, you know, and there's going to be challenges that you're not going to be able to problem solve even in that moment. And it's, and most of it is because the accessibility of our environment is still uh, something we need to fix. But, you know, when I say start slow, you know, it really starts with the community, you know, like even going to the park and looking at, okay, well, what is the route to the park? You know, what do I need to have with me in case something, you know, an emergency happens when I'm at the park? You know, who do I have to call, you know, if I need help? So a part of this too is also that idea of disaster preparedness, which is a very, you know, hot topic right now in PM&R. And I think it very much connects to, you know, addressing this with our, with our patients because they have to be prepared. So, you know, really part of it is, uh, looking at how do you prepare for a trip? You know, what do you need? How do you plan for emergencies? And again, the guide goes through all of that. And, you know, what is your backup plan? So, you know, walking through those three main questions, I think will get you a long way. And I think the last thing I say is, you know, having those, that backup plan and being flexible. So, you know, you can have multiple things. Like I'm the type of traveler who, okay, if plan A doesn't work, I have a plan B. If plan B doesn't work, then I have a plan C. Because at the end of the day, we could sit here and be disappointed if something doesn't work, or we could look at it and say, oh, okay, plan A didn't work, but I was still able to do plan B, you know, and it's one more step to that idea of independence for them and being more functional out in the community. So that's, those are my pieces of advice for my patients and also clinicians. Start early, start small. Use lived experience examples, have a plan, and be flexible. That's right. That's awesome. Okay, so this awesome resource exists. We'll suggest that everyone goes and checks it out. You can find the link in the show notes once the document is released. But Dr. Tamayo, for continuing this resource and for advancing it in the future for our professional audience, what do you hope that they can uh, follow up this resource with in terms of feasible projects or even actionable research questions to help it into the future? Oh, gosh, so many. <laughs> I And I, I think I mentioned technology, sort of the, the role of technology in travel. I mentioned before that we didn't put that in the manual this year. But if anybody wants to help me, I'm, you know, you guys can contact me to put that part together. <laughs> so that's one. I think the other project that I did not get a chance to do associated with this was uh, one of my colleagues actually looked at uh, hotels in New York City 
Uh, this was also presented at a conference a couple years back, but we looked at 64 different hotels to see what their information for people with disabilities were like on their websites, but we didn't get a chance to check if it actually was true, if it, if, if it correlated to the actual lived experience. So I think I would love to do that. I think, you know, the, in, the uh, intersection of policy medicine and the tourism industry is always very interesting to me and finding ways to engage the tourism industry to change their practices and to make their processes more uh, universally designed. And I think too, you know, in terms of getting people out into the community, if people are interested in that community integration piece and how successfully we can get them out into the community and, and live a very fulfilled lives and include travel as part of their leisure activity is another uh, way to get involved in research as well. So, and especially now we're sort of in that post COVID world. Awesome. Thank you so much, Dr. Tamao. This is really incredible. Such a kind of hot topic with travel right now. We also got summer coming up, so more challenges, but also hopefully more travel for people. Really appreciate you coming on and sharing your experience of how this manual was made, but also some really good insights on how we can actually use it effectively. So thank you so much for being here. And we're excited to see this kind of rolled out. Thank you so much for having me again. This was so much fun. Thank you for listening to this episode of SCI Science Perspectives, brought to you by the American Spinal Injury Association. The paper discussed in this episode was chosen based on the recommendation of Asia's Communication Committee. The paper discussed in this episode was chosen based on the recommendation of Asia's Education Committee. This podcast is made possible by the leadership of Dr. Suzanne Groh, your producer hosts, David McMillan, that's me, and Marla Petriello, our editor, Abby Fox, production assistant, James Conception, and Asia's front office. If you have any comments, questions, or concerns, please contact us at sciperspectivespodcast at gmail.com.